0: Turning your Bibles to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. We're going to look at verses, well, the entire chapter. I'll read the text as we go through the sermon. So Judges chapter 5 is our text this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would open our minds to what you would have for us. May you use your word this morning to convict us of sin, to lead us in righteousness, and to ultimately praise you for the deliverance that we have in Christ. This is our hope, this is our desire. Would you work in our hearts to have a greater love for Jesus because of this text? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever noticed what happens at college arenas or sports complexes after a major upset has occurred? Have you ever noticed what happens? Maybe you noticed that even in watching the Super Bowl several weeks ago, what happens after these events? Fans storm the court, don't they? They storm the court and they celebrate victory. They, they, they celebrate with their team the victory that has just been won. Victory over an opposing team, especially in situations where there's a Cinderella team, right? Especially in situations where the team wasn't expecting to win, What you have is a great celebration. It leads to a celebration. And and what we have in our text this morning in Judges chapter 5 is this very thing. Coming on the heels of the head-crushing deliverance through Jael and the defeat of the Canaanite army by Barak, now what we have is a song of deliverance. So they celebrate. Chapter 4, we get the story of how God delivered his people through Deborah and Barak and Jael. And now they sing a song of celebration, a song of deliverance, a song of praise. And this this is very much like Exodus chapter 15. So those of you who are going through the book of Exodus, you'll come to Exodus 15. And we have a similar song of Moses. I don't have time to unpack this, but similar idea of deliverance from an oppressor, right? Egyptians, to then a song of celebration. Very similar text. You can go back in your time in reading God's word and, and look, at, look at Exodus 1 through 15 and just see how God delivered his people and then how they sing a song of celebration. And what I want us to see this morning is that the deliverance that God provides for his people, should lead us to celebrate and praise him for what he has done for us. So what I want to call us to this morning is to praise God. Praise God. Praise God for his deliverance. Praise God for willing people and praise God for his unlikely servant. So first, praise God. We are called to praise God for his deliverance. Look with me at verses 1 through, I have got it written down there 11c. So almost the entire verse 11, except for the last sentence. Verse 1 through 11. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord! Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing, I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 6 In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel, they ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offer themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Verse 10. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord. The righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Marvelous. Marvelous text. I can't sing it, but it's marvelous. In this section, we see Deborah and Barak praise God. They're praising God because he has just delivered them from their enemy. He has worked for his people and rescued them from the Canaanites. In the previous chapter, we saw how God defeated the enemy. He raised up Deborah and Barak, and, they, and he led the army against the Canaanites. And then he used Jael, this unlikely woman, right? He used Jael, this unlikely woman, this unlikely servant who crushed Sisera's head. Okay, very much like the serpent crusher that pointed us back to the garden and forward to Christ, this serpent crusher, this unlikely serpent crusher. And as a result, God is praised Because the leaders took charge and the people willingly offered themselves. They volunteered for the battle. God's people were committed to the Lord's service. And God rescued his people as a divine warrior comes to the aid of his people. Look with me. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord. Even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. When God comes on the scene, the heavens and the earth shake, which recalls what God had done even in for Israel at Mount Sinai. Like Exodus 19, when God arrives on the scene, creation itself comes unglued. When he marches across the sky, the earth trembles. The clouds unleash their water, and the mountains shake. Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. God's presence is now among his people. God has arrived to rescue his people who don't deserve it. Let's let's understand this. This mobile God who moves, not restricted to one area, this God comes to rescue his people who don't deserve it. In verse, verse, we see this here. In verses 6 and 7, the highways were abandoned and villages were deserted. In verse 8, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. That's how bad the situation had gotten for Israel. All, why? Do you remember, do you recall Why? Why is it this bad? Because of their sin, their disobedience. They had broken God's covenant. They had disobeyed his word and it led them to this greater and greater downward spiral as they became oppressed by their enemy. They had turned away from God, the one true and living God, and they had turned and served idols, the Baals, the so-called gods. So things are terrible for the people of Israel. They couldn't go out of their homes. Farmers wouldn't be able to go to work. The people were defenseless against their enemy. Imagine, imagine this. All your weapons being taken away from you. Picture that. All your weapons being taken away from you and placed into the hand of the enemy. You're defenseless. You can't do anything. You're hopeless. And it was all because of their sin. If there is any chance, and this is, I think, what's going on here, if there is any chance of God's people being rescued from this trial, from this enemy, victory will only come because of God. Victory will only come because of God. So what does God do? He's not a God who sits back and is idle. He is a gracious God, and he comes to the aid and help of his people who are oppressed. He raises up Deborah to be a mother in Israel. He raised up leaders. He raised up a willing people who give themselves, who offer themselves to serve the Lord in this way. And for this reason, verse 10, whether it is those who ride on white donkeys, that's, that's a reference to those who are rich, or it's those who travel on the road, that's the ordinary person, all people, tell of it, right? All people are called then to praise God for His deliverance. Rich or poor, rich or ordinary, All people are called to praise God for the deliverance that He provides. Let all people tell of the righteous triumphs of the Lord and the righteous triumphs of His people with those who meet at the various common gathering places. The reason for celebration, the reason to rejoice, is the righteous acts of God and His willing volunteers. That's what Deborah is calling all people to do, to declare and tell the wondrous deeds of our God, to declare wherever we are of the deliverance that God has provided for us that we have in Jesus Christ. We've been delivered in a far greater way, haven't we? We've been delivered from a far greater enemy. As Christians, we've been delivered from sin and Satan. And we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. How much more than for us to praise God for his deliverance and to declare his grace and mercy. I've often wondered, I've often wondered to myself, why don't I do this more often? Why don't we declare what God has done for us in Christ? There's probably a number of reasons. You might have reasons of your own. I found that some of the reasons for me is this. I'm not that bad. Right? I'm not that bad. I'm not that sinful. I'm not that desperate. I'm not in a desperate condition. I don't really understand what it means to be oppressed the way these people were. I I live in America, right? I'm not oppressed. Or, you might experience this and This is something else I experience. I forget. Right? I forget. I don't think often or deeply enough or ponder what the Lord has done for me. I don't bring it to my mind. And so then I forget how God has delivered me and therefore I don't praise him the way I ought. So my hope is that we would think deeply and often about how God has rescued us from sin and death and Satan by sending his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take our place, to take the penalty that you and I deserve so that we might be victorious over the enemy. Let's think deeply about that. Let's never forget the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ. Second, my second point is this. Praise God for his willing people. So God's, God's not just, all right, I'm going to do it and I'm not going to use anybody, right? That's not the way he works. We are to praise God for his willing people. Praise God for the righteous actions of his people. So now Deborah celebrates the righteous triumphs of the Lord and his willing people in Israel. And they're placed, how, do you notice how they're placed here? They're placed against the backdrop of those who fail to join in the battle. We see here a snapshot of the battle that actually occurs between Israel and the Canaanites. So look with me now at the last sentence in, chapter, in verse 11 through 23. The last line in 11 through 23. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake! Awake! Awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Break out in a song. Arise, Barak. Lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. Verse 14. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen, from Machir down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff, the princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds, to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead. Stayed behind the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came and they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the Lord, angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Deborah provides a list here of some of the tribes of Israel who willingly offered themselves in the battle and then those who refused to participate. We see that in verses 12 through 18. And then in 19 through 23 is this description of the battle. And the focus in this section is on the people of God. God uses a willing people to bring about his deliverance. Verse 11, then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Back in verse 8, the war was in the gates, right? So here they are marching to the battle. Marching to the war. Deborah is called, Barak is commissioned, and then the people of Israel, those who are willing, come and march to the battle. Verse 13, then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. And then the various tribes are mentioned. Ephraim marched down into the valley. Benjamin followed. Makir, which is a reference, I believe, to Manasseh, as well as Zebulun and Issachar. And Zebulun, in verse 18, is characterized as a people who risked their lives to death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. So this group, this group that's mentioned here, that's praised, volunteered for the battle. They heard the call and responded in obedience to fight against the enemy. And they celebrated. They risked their lives even unto death. Imagine these men, imagine these men knowing that the Lord is going to give them into their hand, perhaps, some of them perhaps frightful. I mean, the Canaanites, this group, they have chariots of iron, chariots of iron, they're strong, they are mighty, frightful, afraid. But they still go to the battle. They still march into enemy territory, knowing that the battle is the Lord's to win, and he will fight for them, and he will fight with them, obedient to the call of their captain. Obedient to the tasks that they have been given. picture that. Certainly fear, right? But they go. They go. It's not going to be easy, but God's been faithful in the past. He, he's promised us this, this good land. He, he's promised to, to give us victory. We must, we must therefore obey. And so they do. They offer themselves willingly for the sake of the Lord as they carry out his plan. And this is a reason that Deborah celebrated. How about us? How about us? Are you obedient to, co- to the call to join in the battle? To fight against sin and Satan? Are we obedient to the task of making disciples? I am thankful. I am thankful and I praise God when I hear of you stepping out in faith and taking risks and participating in the work of the Lord. It's a reason for us to celebrate, isn't it? When we hear of how God is working among us, He giving us greater boldness, enabling us to encourage others, to invite someone to a various event, to share the gospel with someone. When we hear this happening, and and I've heard it many times, even this week, it's amazing. We praise God for this. Heard of stories about how you guys are risking yourselves? You know what? I'm going to invite someone to this event. I'm not sure what they'll think of me. And they come. Praise God! Praise God! You just took a risk. happening here in our church let's celebrate those let's encourage one another to join in this battle to do the work of the Lord I think it's important for us even at this point to realize that we have a role to play in carrying out the mission of Christ we have a role to play we are all to individually join in this battle it's wrong for us to say this well, it's the Lord's work to do to make disciples. I don't have to do anything. It's the Lord's work. I can be I can be passive. If God's going to do it with or without me, why do I have to be involved? Or wrong. Or That's someone else's work to do. That's someone else's work to do in the church. They're more gifted in that area. What do I have to offer? I live too far away. Too busy. We can't be passive in the Christian life. We can't be passive in carrying out the mission of Christ. Look at the end of of verse 15 through 17. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. You see? You see what's going on here? Reuben, the the clans of Reuben, they considered joining. They had serious thoughts about it. Pondering in their heart whether or not they should or should not participate in this battle. Perhaps they made a list of pros and cons. Oh, here's why I should and here's why I shouldn't. But in the end, they stayed where they were at. I don't have a map of this, but I, I wish you could see this on a map. It's pretty fascinating. Reuben, okay, so up north, up north is where this battle is actually occurring, okay, near Issachar. And Reuben, Reuben is down here pretty far removed from the battle, okay? Pretty far removed, pretty distant from the battle. So perhaps they don't get involved because of distance. They live too far away. Or they're indifferent to the battle because it doesn't affect them personally, right? So if, if the battle's happening up here and, and here they are down in this area, well, that doesn't affect me personally, now, Issachar, I understand why Issachar would get involved. It affects him. I understand what's if I'm living overseas and there's a battle going on overseas, it, it affects me and I'm going to get involved. But look how far away I am right now. I mean, I'm indifferent towards it. It doesn't affect me personally, I don't think. Right? That's a possible reason that we could give, possible excuse that we could give. It doesn't affect us. Another reason for not participating in the battle, consider Gilead here. It's a reference to Gad and then Dan. What did they do? They stayed at the ships. They stayed with the ships. They were preoccupied. They have other business needs that they need to take care of. They're too busy. Too busy. How about Asher? Asher, who sat by the sea? Perhaps a love for comfort or ease. I mean... Right? Who wouldn't rather be at the beach than be in a battle, right? I'd rather be in Hawaii than be in the middle of a battle, right? They prefer to be doing something else than participate in God's battle. So again, I ask as we apply this to our lives, how about us? Do we make the same excuses for not getting involved in what God is doing among us? Distance, busyness, pleasure, indifference, inconvenience, preoccupation, preferences. All these describe what have taken priority in our lives. And again, again, I want to say this. Even as we think about some of those things, I am thankful. I am thankful that we have a church that participates in the battle. We have a church that participates and joins in the mission that God is doing. In our fight against sin, in our fight against Satan, in our effort and attempt to know Christ and make him known, we are joining together in this from all distances too, aren't we? That's what's pretty neat about this. From all distances, whether it's Lake City or Auburn or Coon Rapids, or Manning, all distances, all ranges here, Jefferson, you name it, Carol, all of us here working together to join in the battle of knowing Christ and making him known. And I want to encourage us to continue in this. So if you're maybe, and I want to challenge us as well, so if maybe you're feeling like, you know what, I'm just not quite there. Maybe one of these excuses is popping up in your own mind and you're convicted of it. Let's be, I want to encourage you and challenge you to be proactive. Be proactive in the Christian life, whether it's living out the Christian life among your children. Okay, you're joining in the battle even in your own home. Or it's at the workplace. You're in a battle even right there at the workplace. To live for Christ, aren't you? Or here at church, involvement here at church. I pray and hope that we would join in this mission in making Christ known and making disciples of Jesus Christ. The Lord wants to use us in the battle, and it is worth it because He will be victorious. The battle is fought and won by Him, and you see this in verses 19 through 23. The Canaanite forces come together at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. Sisera gathers his troops, and they're, they're going to cross the Kishon River in order to attack Barak and the Israelites on the other side of the river. Okay, So here they come. They're going to make their way to attack. They've got chariots of iron. This should be a quick route by Sisera. And then we read in verse 20, From heaven... The stars fought from their courses. They fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. So what, what happens here is that the Canaanites, they're, they're on their way with their chariots of iron. They're crossing the Kishon River, which would have been a small stream at this time of year. Just a small amount, not a problem for the, the chariots to get through. But then, God, which we know, is at work. A great storm coming from heaven flooded the Kishon River and swept away the chariots. The horses get thrown into a panic. Wheels get stuck. And and their great might and strategy is rendered useless before God as he goes out to the battle for the people of Israel. Again, this is very similar to the Exodus. As Israel crossed the Red Sea, God delivered them. And the chariots of the Egyptians are thrown into a panic and swept away into the water. And what came after Exodus 13 and this deliverance? was Exodus 15, a song of Moses. What comes after this event that God has just done for his people, this deliverance? A song of praise by Deborah and Barak. Think about this for a moment. The Baals, remember the, God, the so-called God of the storm, right? The Baals, which these Canaanites worshipped, God, the true and living God, has just destroyed them in this way. It's as though the God that they were worshiping, right? These Baals, a the storm God, it's as though the God that they were worshiping has just destroyed the people. Now we know the true and living God is who brought this about. The Lord is victorious over the enemy, as his people willingly offer themselves in the battle. Those who got involved in the battle, in the fight, were blessed. But those who refused to help, like the town of Meraz, in verse 23, are cursed. Failing to come to the Lord's help put Meraz at odds with the Lord. They couldn't have it both ways. And so they're cursed because of it. But for those who come to the help of the Lord are blessed. Which leads me to my final point here. Praise God for his unlikely servant. Praise God for his unlikely servant. Verse 24. Most blessed of women be JL, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. He brought him she brought him curds and a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answered, Indeed, she answers herself, Have they not found and divided the spoil, a womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoiled of dyed materials embroidered, Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. Verse 31 So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the Lord had rest for 40 years. I just want to pause for a moment, because I'm not going to say this in the rest of the sermon. Someday I want to unpack this phrase, the Lord had rest, or the the land had rest for 40 years. Someday I will unpack that, Lord willing. Fascinating, fascinating to think of. Rest. In this part of the song, here's what here's what the emphasis is on. In this part of the song, we have a contrast not only between Miraz and Jael, but between Jael and the mother of Sisera. One is cursed, one is blessed, and it is intended to highlight the work of Jael, who serves to point us to Jesus and his great deliverance. In this scene, Deborah's song recalls the righteous actions of the Lord as he uses an unlikely servant to deliver his people. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. So we, we recall from chapter 4, right? We, we heard about this in chapter 4, that Sisera was allied with Heber, okay? So Sisera allied with Heber, the Kenites. Sisera had fled the battle, so he leaves the battle, he gets out of there, and he, he goes to this camp, and he runs to their camp, and, and he finds himself in Jael's tent. He's weary. He asks for water, and she gives him milk. She covers him from anyone who might be looking for him. And he falls asleep. He's weary. He falls asleep. And then, J.L., and it, again, it slows down in this text as well, doesn't it? J.L. grabs a tent peg and hammer, and he, she strikes his head and crushes him. Slows down and highlights this great work. A general of an army humiliated at the feet of an unlikely servant this woman jail is praised for what she has done in crushing the head of the enemy you might wonder i wondered this as i read this why Why is she praised? The story highlights it twice about the head crusher, the serpent, this person getting their head crushed. Why is she praised? Yes, she's praised because it points us to Jesus and Jesus crushing the serpent's head, right? We know that. we also recognize here is because this person is one of God's enemies who oppressed his people. He's a wicked leader. Perhaps we could compare him to Hitler or Stalin or Bin Laden or ISIS. This isn't just some person who... This is a a leader oppressing the people of God. Look down at verse thirty. The princesses answered, "Have they not found and divided the spoil, a womb or two for every man?" Do you know what that means? In other words, he treats the the women like a piece of meat. that he uses for his own pleasure and enjoyment. So God, in his justice, punishes those who afflict, mistreat, or abuse the innocent. It's a God we serve. He will not let the guilty go unpunished. I believe there's a lesson here for us as we apply this. We should defend the weak, defend the innocent. Stand for the cause of those who are helpless. Which was the case with Israel. Leave room for God's wrath. Romans 12, God says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Let him be the one who brings justice. And in the meantime, yes, we pray for repentance for them, right? We prayed for repentance for those who oppress people. They might come to know Jesus. But we rejoice at the justice of God as well. And we defend those who are weak and helpless, Song closes with a petition to God. May what happened to Sisera and the Canaanites happen to all God's enemies. And may those who love God, those who are his friends, be strengthened, and be strong like the rising sun. So the question for us is this. Do we see that there are people in our circles of influence who are enemies of God? And what can we do about that? Because an enemy of God, we see what an enemy of God is. It's one who stands in opposition to God. It is is someone who doesn't stand with God. And if you're not with God, then you're against God. If you're not for God, you're against God. They might even be indifferent to God. James 4 says that whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if someone is a, is a friend of the world, they're an enemy of God. They might be a seeker at the time, right? You know, we can't have it both ways, can we? And Jesus says in John 15 to his disciples that his friends are those who keep his commands. And in that context, the command that jesus has just given is to love one another as i have loved you greater love no one greater love no one has than this that he laid down his life for his friends and that's what christ has done for us so as followers of christ i conclude with this as followers of christ let's love one another let's pursue a greater love for christ yes we sin yes we struggle in our battle but let's pursue this greater love for Jesus and let's declare to our enemies the love of Christ that has delivered us. Christ died for his enemies. He died for us so that we might no longer be his enemies but his friends so that we might stand with him and be clothed in his armor as we stand against the devil. And might we participate and join Christ in the mission that He has for us to know Christ and to make Him known. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the work that you are doing among us. We are thankful for those who are willingly. Risking their lives, risking their reputation for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of making Christ known. We thank you for those who encourage one another in love and good deeds. We thank you for those who have joined in the battle against sin and Satan. We thank you for the deliverance that you have given us in Christ. And I pray that you would help us hear the call of Christ, our Captain. And that we would go into this battle together and continue to fight against the enemy. And we give you thanks that you are victorious. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.